Welcome, friends, to the Soul Talk podcast, a show where we explore and uncover the path to the heart, amplifying your conscience. Join me as we meet incredible souls who are in this journey and learn from their experience and different methods that will make you vibrate your heart. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. This is Monica Ramirez, the Warrior of Love. And today we are not only in Soul Talk, we are in Soulology. And we are gonna, I'm going to be presenting you with a friend of mine that he's in Australia. He is, I hope I don't massacrate your last name, Nick. Uh, Nikhil uh, Rukhani, correct? Correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Good. <laughs> uh, well, Nick, it is it is many things that I will. That's why I wanted to share with you guys because I am an artist, like many of you know, and I have heard about copywriters and the way that we as uh, artists we see copywriting. It is very very different than the way of the marketing parts and how we can help us all as a coaches and healers and that we're doing a bigger business and we're trying to make a survival from this. Copywriting, it is very, very different. And, and Nick is not only a copywriter, he it is also a certified trainer of NLP and hypnosis. And that's one of the big things that I really enjoy. It's one of the things that I more practice, both of those things that uh, I enjoy his conversations with, with that because you're going to be seeing why. He is also a student uh, of Ayurveda, and he is also a Taekwondo. Is that your, I don't know what belt. But... Black, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a teacher of Taekwondo, yeah. <laughs> yes. And Nick, tell us a little bit about, okay, what do you do? Because you have you have too many things, and, uh, and I have many questions that I wanted to, I have never have time to talk about those things. Yeah, of course, of course. So, um, by day, I'm uh, I'm a copywriter. I run a, a very boutique copywriting agency, uh, which basically helps people in the transformational industry. So, coaches, healers, therapists, uh, anyone in that space where they're looking to make an impact and a transformation in the world. It helps them to articulate their message much more powerful uh, and demonstrate their values much more clearly. Uh, and that's that's the work we do effectively we're helping our clients to get more leads to close more sales and to increase their revenues through the power of the written word i i have to ask this question because there is mm. also um, a part of many coaches healers any kind of practitioners life workers etc whatever mm. name you want to call us it is there is this thing is about against making money mm. and and even if we need to pay our lights and our bills and feed ourselves and, and we wanted to to survive from that so we don't have to have a eight to five job. Yeah. Even if we want to, to actually be free in that way of the system of the 3D world. But this is the part that pulls us back to the 3D world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we, I would like to talk about that part, why it is a need and uh, to actually to uh, hire people like you so we can yeah. even convey the better, better words so we can get out of the, the rat race that we are. All yeah, in. yeah. 
that's such an that's such an interesting topic and one that I I, I find very fascinating. So many years ago, there was a lady called Dion Fortune, and she was a mystic, a Western mystic. Um, and she, one of her quotes, which has stuck with me, was basically, "For the ascent to spirit to take place, one must first descend to earth." Right. And what she was basically talking about is that we have to live in this world, but we don't have to like it. We have to live in this world, but we don't have to necessarily be bound by it. But in order to live in this world successfully, when we can do that, the ascension to our spiritual life is made that much easier. And part of living in this world means that we have to eat, we have to sleep, we have to work, you know. So all of that important stuff is there. The, the big thing, though, is that sometimes people feel that money has a, a very negative connotation to it and that money is hard, it's bad, it's not good. We shouldn't be asking for money, right? Um, my, my heritage is, is from, from India, and so I was raised um, with Hindu values. And one of the things that the Hindus believe is that we live in what's called sansar, which means the world. But over the world, there is a veil. They call it maya, which means illusion, okay? And when we're living inside the illusion, running after money, is the bad thing. But when we're aware that we're living inside the illusion and we have to operate within the rules of that, then we can use money in a much more enlightened way. And that's, I think, what people are really looking to do is that it's the chasing for the needless chasing of the money, which is what the reversion, they have that aversion to. Um, and it goes even further that they actually personify uh, money uh, and wealth and prosperity as the divine feminine energy. So it is the creative energy. It's a creative energy from the Hindu perspective. So very, very interesting story. If we look at it from the point of view is that you can have spirituality, but if you are pursuing spirituality, then money should follow naturally. But we're talking about money as in wealth, as in prosperity, as in all of that, right? But if you go chasing money, you will leave spirituality behind. And I think that's where people are maybe mixing things up. So bringing a little bit of Western mysticism in it from Dion Fortune and bring a little bit of my Hindu culture into it. Um, if money is energy, then going after energy is not bad, but going after it for the wrong purposes is the, is the wrong thing, right? That's, that's how we would look at it. So what you need to do is understand that you need it to survive, you need it to live, but your overall fascination and obsession with it uh, and forgetting, missing the forest for the trees is probably not healthy. So need it, work for it, charge what you're worth for it because you have value to bring to the world. But you shouldn't by any chance be just caught in the rat race. Don't be caught with the veil over your eyes. Don't be caught in the illusion that that's all there is. Me to the question. It, one, it is funny because in, from the, um, the Majas and the Aztecs and so forth, in the Majas actually, uh, the word Maya, uh, it is, we have a, the, it is also the illusion. Mm. of of time and space and everything yeah it's funny that our cultures in that way it's a lot of similarity <laughs> pretty similar yeah. but going to a little bit of nlp mm. we are full of programs every single human right. and uh, that's why we are in the mess that we are in this mm. in this 3d that we are yeah and thinking that we have one of the programs is that we have to work hard so like that we can make money mm. and we find out that that was an illusion that was a yeah. major thing it was completely an illusion 
that we more than we work harder, we maybe it did work for our ancestors, maybe the my dad's generation and so forth, but mm. this time, this time is very very different. It's different, yeah. And uh, and how do you work with uh, people to because you're an NLP beside mm. of beside of the the creative writing or beside of the the copywriting business that you mm. have, you're an NLP and you're working with the programs of people. Yeah, yeah, and. How do you work uh, uh, in that level with your clients? Because that's the problem that we all have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Every month we're knocking our fingers how we're going to pay the light or how we're going to pay this or things like that. So the first thing we look at it from an NLP point of view is we look at what's the, what, what's the person's model of the world? What is happening in their world? What's happening? And are we judging and assessing the model of the world or are we entering their model of the world? And I think the first thing is that we need to look at that. What is that model of the world where those programming is taking place? And then once we, once we can enter the model of the world, we're in a position to build rapport with a client, right? And which is rapport is one of the most famous NLP techniques that people talk about matching and mirroring. Because if you're over here and they're over here and there's no match in the model of the world, then there's no communication, right? And all the power and all the change will happen through the verbal, will happen through the communication. But first, get into the person's model of the world. What's really happening in their world, right? Are they being at cause for what they're looking to do? Because if they're not at cause of what they're looking to do, then we need to move them to a point of saying, you can change this, can't you? You don't want this, do you? So if you don't want this, what would you like instead? And when we start getting them focused on what they truly want, that will start shifting things for them, okay? Most people are focused on what they don't want. Mm-hmm. yes right. and we call those people away from people right and that's okay you need a little bit of that away from because it gets you moving but it's unsustainable to be constantly looking over your shoulder living in fear it's not sustainable you know it's not healthy but you want to get yourself to a point where you're moving and so that's where things like away from motivators whether they call it the, the carrot and the stick approach this would be the stick a little bit of pain is okay to move you, but you don't want to be living there. And that's where most people get caught. They get caught living in the pain over and over again. I look at, for example, Donald Trump, right? I remember an interview with Donald Trump and he was on the, on the subject of money. He'd been bankrupt seven times. And his uh, comment was, you know, we have to be grateful for what we've got because we know that at any moment we could lose it all. We have to start again. Yeah. And that's him in the away from mode. Right, looking over his shoulder, thinking, I'm going to have it lost. Any minute now, this could all go away. Right now, he's got the mindset to be able to create the money, fine. Um, but not everyone does. So, looking over your shoulder, looking what's behind you is not always the healthiest, easiest way to live. So, sometimes you need to find out what is it you're looking towards, what is it that you would like, and go towards that as well. Something coming from the Mexican culture there where I grew up. Mm coach, a healer, or in Spanish is called sanador. Uh, mm. uh, I don't think even it's very common, the, the word even light worker, trabajador de la luz. Mm. Even uh, they have the idea that it's just by donation. So, yes, it is great donations, but mm. receiving $1 for, I don't know how many hours of work you did or something like that, it's like, come on, that's not going to be the light bill. That no. is 
and but they have that idea if you're good you do not need to ask for money you just receive donations and god provide i am not against surrendering to god i am not sur mm -hmm. not against surrendering to source or whatever name you want to call it it doesn't matter we're talking about the mm -hmm. same but at the same time it also says that help you and i will help you back yeah yeah i think that's really interesting you say that um which is there's, there's that wonderful saying that god helps those who help themselves right um which is really really interesting um and i think i'm not sure how old the custom of paying by donation is um oh, in mexico still to this day yeah yeah so i know in india it's very similar as well so the healers would be paid by donation because but the thing was charging for your services was important you did have to ask for it you have an obligation to ask for the money okay because um and in, in india they call it dakshina which actually means donation and so even when you went to a teacher when you went to a guru uh when you finished your education you would give what you could you could give what you could. And what seems to have happened over the years, over the years, is that giving what you could has kind of fallen by the wayside. And donation has almost been like it's like you're giving to charity. No, this isn't give to charity. This is give what you can, what you feel is is within your ability to give. That's how donations used to work in the ancient days. You know, that's why, you know, the Christian churches used to talk about tithing. So it didn't matter how much you had, you'd give one tenth to God, right? Because that was a real donation, gave one tenth because that was within your means. And it was the same kind of theory that you give what you feel you're able to give. Nowadays, if people are just giving a dollar for like, you know, three hours worth of work, that's a seriously, is that what you're able to give? You know? That will be ideal in an ideal world. Mm. You know, that, you know, even that's why it's something mm. that I love is the Star Trek and, yeah. and the society that they live, there is no money. Yeah. But no one is lacking of food or or a roof or or a mm. place to live and so forth. That that, that will be the ideal uh, world that we all were hopefully yeah. we're gonna be living in. But in this moment it is not. It's not that true. Yeah. And the the thing it is something that I came to understand is you don't value yourself, you don't value your time, mm. no we will do that. It's like yeah. asking for love for someone. And at the same time, you're asking for love for someone. It is because you're lacking yourself of loving yourself at the same time. Love is not something that you should be asked for. It's something that should be given to. Given, yeah. Well, it's unconditional, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. the unconditional goes in different parts too. That is about no judgment and trying to change yeah. or modify it somewhere. Yeah. It goes more complicated than yeah, yeah. That. <laughs> but but it's about the value. Yeah, and, and that's some, something that I noticing with uh, with the energies in this moment that the people do not value themselves because that's a trauma from childhood. That's very true. Yeah, and that's where the problems right. Uh, that's why there's uh, the coaches and healers and light workers or psychologists mm. or psychiatrists and and we are getting all uh, trying to help all these people because. And at the same time, ourselves. I'm not gonna yeah. that, that of me. But when we're trying to value, revalue ourselves and knowing that we are worth, and it is hard to put a price to that. 
how do you manage that as an NLP standpoint and a piece? How will you manage that? I think when you look at it from an overall, and we can look at it from an NLP point of view, where it's basically like, again, it comes down to what is the value to the client? What is the value to that person? We're sometimes so busy focused on, it's so easy for us as light workers. Like, you know, we can do energy healings, we can do Ayurveda, we could do hypnotherapy. But for us, it's become so normal that this is just what we do. But for another person, it's like, wow, this is magic. You've really made a difference to my lives. You know, what has been the value that we've delivered to them? What for us is normal is something miraculous for somebody else. It's like when I write copy, people say to me, wow, Nikhil, that is so powerful. And I look at it, it's like, but this is what I do every day, right? It's not that powerful, but for them, it's very different because um, if I look at it from my point of view, yes, I do it every day, but from their point of view, they're not getting this every day. This has made a difference for them. It's helped them to grow their business. It's given them new perspectives. From a, a healing point of view, when you look at it, if you're a Reiki therapist, for example, or let's say you, you do some any sort of natural therapy and you can really make a difference to someone's lives, remember for that person, you've solved a big problem for them. You've solved a massive problem for them. That if you hadn't done it, if you hadn't solved that problem, they would still be suffering or they'd still have some sort of trouble. So when you're charging a client or when you're asking for a fee from a client, you have to look at it from, again, shifting perspective from their point of view. What is the value for them? Not what is my childhood trauma saying? Because that's you thinking about yourself, not about your client. But we're going to go that there are so many pseudo or not, let's forget about the word pseudo because it is a wrong word to, even to use. You work with a client, let's say you work with a, a person in working on believing in themselves and so forth, and to value themselves, to see the patterns they're doing of a destruction and mm. all those kind of things. And, and they finish your class, they finish your course, they finish your therapy, whatever you're doing with them. Mm. They go back to the same issues. So whatever therapy you did, whatever sessions that you did with them, or group classes, whatever it is, is not going to work. So what value in reality it was for them? So when, when you're doing a therapy or when you're doing a class, there are two participants. There's you as the leader and yeah. them as the client. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's value that you're going to give, but there's value that they've got to create for themselves as well by being facilitating, being led through the work. Okay. If I went to a dietitian and I've got this beautiful meal plan and then I go home and have chips and drink Coke and, you know, overindulge in alcohol and go crazy, then I'm not seeing the value because that's me not doing what I've committed to doing. Right. If as a therapist, as a, as a light worker, you've delivered what you've done, there is also them. They have to do their part. It's not a one person thing. This is a do with process. Yeah. And there's an obligation for them to commit to doing their part. You as a therapist, if you've done everything you can to the best of your ability, then you've delivered the value. Then it's up to them whether they take it or not. Then it's up to them whether they follow through with it or not. And sometimes they need that accountability, but they also need to be made aware that they have a job to do as well. Yes. Yeah. That this is not just me doing it to you. This is me doing it with you, which means you need to come on that journey with me. You want to be healed. How committed are you? Right. 
I am so happy that you're you're mentioning this because yes, it happens all the time to all of us. Yeah. All of us that we're working with clients and so forth, it happened to all of us that we can give ourselves more than we we should. But at the end, yeah. you don't see the change on that person's. And in fact, you can't even get judged because it's, because you're you become the mirror of what they don't want to see. Yeah. Yeah. So I think pre-framing it with your client is that, look, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I need you to do. Yeah. I will do this. I need you to do this. So that's, there's an agreement between you and the client that I'll facilitate this process, but then this is what you need to do as well. Because at the end of the day, if they don't want to heal, we can't force them to. If they don't want to change, it doesn't matter how much money they pay us. We're not going to be able to make them change, right? Yes. So there's going to be a willingness to, to, to also take those equal steps from their part. I often say to clients, when clients say, will this work for me? I'm like, look, I know it'll work. And I know I understand that I will work as hard as I possibly can to work with you to make sure that you get what you have deserved. But my question to you now is, will you do the work? You know, when someone asks me, how do I know this will work? My question is, look, I know it'll work. I've got enough clients and testimonials that will tell me that, that this works. I know I'll put in all the work I possibly can. But if you're asking that question, Mike, I want to ask you, how committed are you to making this work? And that's where the agreement needs to be set up front. Again, whether you're a yoga teacher or a Reiki therapist or a, a copywriter like me or an energy healer of any sort, you have to have an agreement at the beginning. This is what I will do. This is what I need you to do. Are you okay with that? Yes, I still wish when they ask me, okay, there's a magic wand. It's like, I really wish we were Harry Potter and we have the magic wand. And it would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> we just go to the fifth dimension and everybody is, we can live in that society to Star Trek. But that, yeah. that is not true. Uh, whoever's that promise you about, hey, with yeah. one healing, I can heal you and this and that, they're lying. And yeah. Like, my clients like run fast run yeah <laughs> that, that is not there, there is no magic to it really there is like there is what we'll do and there's what you've got to do it's a do with process it's not i'll do it to you i'll do it with you i'm just going to make it faster that's all hi everyone this is monica ramirez the warrior of love and hey the holidays are coming but i feel very confused do i want to be there or i don't and I bet there's a lot of confusion in this time for many of you, at least in the emotional states. You might say you wanted to go to see your family and things like that, but at the same time, you're afraid either going to be triggering you or you're going to be triggering someone. That sensation, that emotion, it is so common. Hollywood have shown us that, hey, they have happy families and they have a Hallmark movie in there. And in a way, we deep inside of us, that's what we want for ourselves. That's what we want to create those memories for our kids and for us. But in reality, there is a lot of triggers in there. And so a lot of emotions that are gonna go in there. So I have learned how to navigate in those, in those family reunions. Why? Because I was raising a narcissist's family. So it was every year, it was the same emotion. Do I want to go? Okay, I have to make the turkey, but do I want to be there? But at the same time, I don't want to be left out. So 
it was always looking for that, even that search for that love and that approval of the family, because all those triggers are gonna show up in the majority of the families. So I have learned how to navigate in, the, in them. I have learned how to approve myself and not searching for the approval of others and value myself and not going with the value of others put on myself. I can learn how to set boundaries. I have learned how to, at the same time, how to have compassion for everyone and more for myself when I am in those kind of situations. And I created a masterclass that is going to be in three days. That in this masterclass, it is called Driving Through the Holidays. And what I'm going to be teaching, it is going to be obviously the masterclass, how to survive in these situations in the holidays with the family and still enjoy it, create new memories and become the observer. I'm going to be doing also a group Akash uh, reading, Akashic reading for all the group. I'm going to be doing a soul retrieval because we need to bring all ourselves back before we in front, confront all these situations and react in a better, with a better understanding of what is happening and not losing the control over us. I'm going to be doing also cutting contracts and vows that many of us will need that in this holidays coming. And it's going to be also an integration. And I'm going to finish it up with a reprogramming in Theta level. So like that, you have a meditation that you can keep with yourself. In this masterclass, you're going to have recordings. You're going to have um, all the materials that you're going to need because we're going to have a private group that you're going to need. If you need support, I am here to support you because I know how it feels. <laughs> so it is this masterclass. It is going to be, uh, let me check my notes. It is going to be in November 19, 20 and 21st from 6 to 10 p.m. The three days. So like that, you are be ready before Thanksgiving or any of the holidays arrive. So if you want more information, just contact me. This is Monica Ramirez, the warrior of love. How do you integrate the Ayurveda, your martial arts with, uh, with the Hindu culture too? Because they have also have a lot of this, uh, this different healing prop, uh, properties all mm. Mm. with the copywriting how do you integrate them all in one because i know you mix them all in a way yeah yeah it's an it's an ecosystem i see it as not individuals but i see them as as contributing to the whole of who i am because at the end of the day when people hire me they hire me for all of me not just you know they get all of me whether they want me for copywriting They'll get all my knowledge of NLP. They'll get all my knowledge of hypnosis. They'll get my knowledge of Ayurveda. Everything comes into it. So they're getting more than just the copywriting. For example, I do integrate things like language patterns into my copywriting. I do integrate things like hypnotic uh, you know, processes into my copywriting. So when people read the copy, it tends to connect more with them. I have processes in place which allow me to understand at deeper values so the whole healing protocols do come in as well. So 
funny enough, as people are going through and I'm taking the briefing for them, they're also getting a little bit of a sense of healing themselves, even though that's not my intention. But because I'm because of the questioning, the way I do it, and because of the mindset I bring to it, it happens naturally. And then the people reading the copy is like they read it and they resonate with it. They say, oh, wow, this is really me. They feel understood at a deeper level. Things like Ayurveda um, allows me to do things like understand what is the nature of the client that I'm working with? How would they like to be best worked with? What can I do to help them to understand? If someone's a very fiery type personality versus someone who's a very earthy type personality, then I'm able to shift my own communication accordingly to serve them. If their clients are of a very different nature, I have to be able to shift the language to suit that as well. So Ayurveda comes in that way. With the martial arts side of things, it's very, very interesting. Um, I've been doing martial arts since I was five years old, but as a Taekwondo teacher, as an instructor, um, what I look for is what they call patterns. So we're looking for patterns. And what we do is we're just implementing the patterns that are best used. And Taekwondo is very methodical. It's very structured. Um, you know, and within those structures, all you have to do is just apply a structure a particular way and you get a particular result. So that pattern thinking is what I apply to it. So NLP talks about modeling. That's what I do. I take the model and apply it to here. Um, much more than that, it's really just a part of who I am. It's it's you get the whole the whole package. You know, you get the the wisdom of of the Hindu culture, you get the wisdom of the Korean Taekwondo, you'll get the Ayurvedic natural healing, you get the modern NLP, the hypnosis, everything. It all comes as part of the package. Remember in one of the sessions that I had with you in copyright, mm -hmm. it, I, I was battling to raise my prices because, you know, in a deep way, I did not feel that I, I deserve to get paid more. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. uh, and I know it has to do with my childhood that unresolved problems, even if I am an LP, even if I have worked with all those, uh, those programmings and so forth, yeah. they're still <clears throat> flourishing up and they're still flourishing up. There is like mm. over layers, over layers, over layers that I don't know when it's going to end this, the healing. It's I, I, how I mentioned to my clients, the universe continues expanding. So who yeah. knows <laughs> where we're going to finish that part of the healing. Yeah. And it's like, and I imagine there are a lot of your clients that uh, comes with you that not only they're raising the prices, but about even building a program that, that they don't feel that how they're going to build a program to, to teach other people when they have a lot of knowledge, but mm. believe enough in themselves. How do you work with them in that way? Because there's people that have a lot of knowledge, but yeah. they feel yeah. they still battle of being a teacher. Yeah, it's very common. We see it all the time. Pe people have a lot of knowledge, but what they feel is... <clears throat> So they, they have this thing called imposter syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. um, that they don't feel that they're good enough. But what they're doing with imposter syndrome, and this is, this is the big thing, there's two things that are happening. They're taking their own skills and knowledge for granted. They're not really seeing the true value of what it has for another person. For example, I'm learning Spanish right now. Yeah. And I've been learning Spanish for over almost two years now, right? Learning Spanish for almost two years. For a native Spanish speaker, this is normal. For someone like me, this is not normal. So someone like yourself, Monica, came and taught me a few words of Spanish. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. You're like, really? That's just normal. That's just what I do, right? Um, but for me, it's like, wow, that really helped me. That really was so valuable. 
I'd like to, you know, reward you with, you know, the value that it had for me. I'd, I'd love to be able to give you something for that, whether it's a gift, whether it's money, whatever it may be. But if you, it's like, this is normal. But this is what happens when we acquire knowledge. It becomes so normal. We tend to go after more and more and more and more and more rather than looking at the fact that this is who we are. This is what we've got. It is enough for those people. And if that's who we're serving and that's all they need, then we need to look at it again from the perspective of, well, what do they really want? What do they really need? And do I have what I can give them? The second part of imposter syndrome is they look at how far they've got to go, not how far they've come. Yes. Yeah. When you look at, you know, in my 45 years on this planet, I look at, oh my God, like there's so much I want to accomplish. But I look back and say, well, what have I accomplished so far? And they're not reflecting on what they've accomplished. They're reflecting on what they haven't accomplished. And that's a problem as well. So the two things they need to do is firstly understand it's not about you. It's about your client. What is important to them? Okay. If you can get the client what they need, how valuable is it to them? You don't need to know everything in this universe. You never will know everything in this universe. That's not for you to know. Not in this physical form, right? Maybe not in this physical form. Maybe you can tap into it, but there's only so much that you'll be able to get. get. Yes. Now, okay, you can try and do it. You can certainly try and go for it. But if you're looking to help other people, then people are at different stages, right? Help them through that stage. You don't have to get them from A to B. Or sorry, A to Z. You only have to get them from A to B. Right. Yeah. So that's the first part. The second thing is stop looking how far you've got to go and honor how far you've come. Right? Really love the fact that you've gone on this journey. Look at what you've done so far. I can look at the fact, you know, um, I've done NLP, I've done hypnosis, I've, you know, I'm a martial arts teacher, you know, I'm a, I'm a single father, I'm a, a copywriter, I've been writing professionally for 20 years. I can look at that and, and, and acknowledge that, or I can look at the fact that I haven't done this, I haven't done this, I haven't done this, I haven't done this, I haven't got a PhD, I haven't got you know a multi-billion dollar business, I don't own a private jet, I don't live on an, on an island like I want to. I could look at all of that. But then I'm going to start feeling deficient within myself. Yes. I'm going to feel like I'm not good enough. right? Or you're going to compare to others. And yeah. For the envy and, and competition, that kind of conscience, that it will lower yeah. down, it will go. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So I think the two parts of it is that you've got to look at that imposter syndrome. The two parts, look, look, look backwards and reflect as opposed to look forwards and look deficient. Don't look at the gap. Look at how far you've come. The second thing is obviously look, look what the client needs, not what you're looking for. It's always about the client because we're in a service industry. We're here to serve, right? It's a very divine calling to when you're out there to serve other people. And when you're in a healing business, like you don't do this because out of ego, no one gets into the healing arts. No one gets into the service arts out of ego, right? I differ in that. I differ in that. There is people that I, I know people that they just wake up one day and says, oh, I was thinking what I was going to, how I was going to do a business. So I'm going to become a life coach. And they don't have a clue that mm -hmm. what it is. When I told them it's like, life of people are in stake what are you gonna do when someone is so depressed mm. that is suicidal comes to you and you don't have any clue yeah, how the tools to deal with this. Yeah. so this yeah. it is actually even dangerous to you become a life coach without yeah any basis or anything that you can help someone to not kill themselves 
I, I agree. Look, there are always going to be people out there who are not serving. There's always going to be, there is actually going to be bad people out there doing business that shouldn't be doing business. But if you're getting into business just to make the money, you're probably better off getting a job. Yeah. You're into business because you've, you're here, especially in the healing arts, because you've got a gift to give, you know, and that, that's generally why people get into business. Even these people who may not have the tools under the belt, maybe they're feeling the spark, the inspiration, calling them saying, I want to be able to give. Well, then the pathway is don't go and serve just yet. Go and learn. Go and get these tools, acquire these tools, and then serve, you know, because it is like literally when you're going into business, uh, there's a guy called Gay Hendricks who says business is the highest spiritual calling ever. You know, you're going in there because you feel you can do better for other people. Yes. Because at yeah. the end, we all want to have a different life experience, a different world. That yeah. utopia, that Star Trek, I, I, we all wanted to live there. Where yeah. yes, we work, yes, we have obligations, but we are not afraid of how we're going to pay our light or Correct, yeah. going to pay the bills. You know, I, I, I actually love the fact that you brought Star Trek up because I saw, a, I, think, I think it was Star Trek, but maybe it was another series, but it was similar. I love sci-fi, right? Uh, so I watch a lot of it. Um, um, but I remember I, I saw an episode and they talked about someone says, so you don't have any money. How do you, you know, how do you value something? They said, well, our currency is reputation. I thought, what a wonderful idea. Having reputation is your currency that people will do things with you or do things for you because of the level of reputation you hold because of the trust. And that comes down to, wow, what an interesting idea. Uh, I, I hope one day we get there. It's like I know for the word of honor, something that I, it's a new lesson for me that I, I just got that from mm. word of honor is very, very important. If oh, I, yeah. I'm going to do something, it doesn't matter what I have to do. I finish my, I accomplish my word of honor. And that's something that I have encountered that not everybody has that. That, uh, that yeah. everybody has different values. And I'm not going to say that my values are better than their values because that's comparison. Yeah, that's a comparison. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think honoring your word is really important. It's really interesting because that's the only thing we actually have control over is what we say. Right? Yeah. Like we can't control our heartbeat. We can't control, you know, how our bodily functions are working. We can't control anything in this world. But the one thing we can control is what we say. We can't even control our thoughts when you think about it, right? We can, actually. I, well, if you read, you read my, my full book, remember that I, I sent it yeah. to you. But uh, one of the things that I do teach people is actually how to become the observers of their thoughts and their emotions. Yeah. And if they become the observers of the thoughts and the emotions, they can control mm. everything. And that's something that I teach. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask you, is it, is it controlling or is it directing it? Well, in the moment you start hearing your ego yeah. and your thoughts, like you're worthless, you're not deserve this or you're not that, so forth. In that moment, remove those thoughts and transform mm. thoughts and reframe them. Reframe them. Yeah, reframe them. Way. Yeah. Yeah, so correct, yeah. you're in control of your thoughts and the same yeah. for your emotions. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm talking from a slightly different level here, Monica, because most people think they, they, they say I'm thinking, but they're not actually thinking, they're having thoughts, which is very different. Yeah. Right? Thinking is a very active process, which is what you're talking about. And I agree, I 100% agree that thinking is when you can actually direct and you know, shape your thoughts. But having thoughts, most people call that thinking, right? 
And most people can't control just having thoughts. They just come in their mind and they get bombarded by the monkey mind over and over again, right? And that process of having thoughts is what most people call thinking. And that part they can't control. The mind is always going to chatter. The mind is always going to talk. Yes, you can take the observer status and you'll keep seeing all of it. But unfortunately, that, that part is, it just is, right? But you can then turn that into the words. You can be very much in control. You've got 100% control over what you say. You may think one thing, but if you say something different, then maybe that's not in integrity with your thoughts. But if you're going to honor your word, if you say something, then people accept that, right? And if you keep saying things that you don't honor, then people won't accept that. And you will be seen as someone who basically can't be truthful, right? That comes also from programming. We go back to the programming. Yeah. Well, because like someone asked me the other day, like, so when you were kids, and uh and and you say something funny like oh yes i pick you up from the trash can when you were a baby and it's like how is it's like it's, it was just funny and like yes but tell that to a two-year-old a three-year-old yeah. he becomes a program and he feels worthless yeah. when it's an yeah. adult still carrying that joke that you did because he still feels like it picked me up from the trash can yeah yeah imagine their sense of self-worth because a two-year-old I mean, we, we know about critical faculty. They don't know right or wrong, yes and no. They think everything they hear just gets imprinted straight into their unconscious mind, right? So that type of programming, at, you know, under the age of seven, where your children don't have a critical faculty, they can't, they can't tell what's real and not. They can't tell what's right and wrong. They don't know what's yes or no. Everything is just is. It's a fact. They just absorb it. And that's that crucial formative years where your mind gets shaped by anything and everything that comes your way. So it's very, very important. I remember seeing that in my own daughter because having been NLP trained, I could see when her own critical faculty was developing. And I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. I have to be very, very careful about what I say at this age because I can see she's taking it seriously, you know? Well, that's why there's still people that believe Santa Claus that is going to come out from the chimney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many kids don't believe that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and but then in a way, this I wanted to still believe in magic, I, and I believe I we all mm. beings we have that magic in a way. But we part of the programming it was stop believing that magic that we all have. I think that's part of yeah. That I agree with you. I think people do need to understand their their perception of magic as well. Yeah. I think a lot of people think magic is very much waving a wand and sparkles flying in the air, right? But if we go back into magic, magic is just using nature in a very particular way. For example, if we look in the Bible, I, I went to a Catholic school. So even though I'm raised a Hindu, I learned a lot of Catholicism. So I'm very familiar with it. But I remember a conversation I had with a teacher and he says, you know, you look at the stories like, you know, Jesus turning water into wine, Right. When you think about it, nature turns water into wine every day. It's just a longer process. Magic, magic and miracles just shorten the process. That's mm -hmm. basically all it is. It just shortens it and compresses it. So something is naturally going to happen. When people talk about healing and it's expediting, it, it makes it faster. Well, people are going to heal eventually. But what we've done is we've just maybe sped up the process or maybe helped it along the way. You know, like if you cut your hand and you, put medicine on it and it heals you know in two days it's like well it's going to heal eventually now more complex things maybe take more time and then sometimes maybe you run out of time so it doesn't fully heal and you end up dying but that's a different story right but 
the body's constantly always trying to heal itself yeah uh, and things like that so they, when they talk about healing magic it's like well you're actually helping that process along the way you're speeding it up in certain cases it is yeah like i i had lupus rm fibromyalgia and mm. those were incurable uh sickness according to the doctors yeah but when yeah. you realize that actually you have to do the inner work are controlling your thoughts and your emotions yeah. and they start observing them and so forth that's how i heal myself yeah from yeah. that it was not that someone came in like here's a magic wand monica and you're healed no it yeah. was doing the <laughs> work and and you're healed from lupus and fibromyalgia right yes i did yeah and by all accounts if you look at a, a modern medicine they'd look at that and say wow that's a miracle no, there are doctors that tell me no, you didn't never had it. Like, you never had it, right? Yeah. Here's my medical records. Here's something 15 years with this. Here it is, all the medical yeah. exams and medications and so forth. Like someone did a mistake, like 10 doctors did a mistake. Yeah. It's like, no, I heal myself. <laughs> it's just a beautiful example, Monica. Look at that. Such a beautiful example. We're so immersed in this world. For us, it's become so normal. But for people on the outside, they look at that and that can't be possible yeah mm -hmm. and that's that's exactly kind of what we see you know when you ask me about you know how do people value themselves it's because we, this is so normal for us that we forget the value that when people from the outside look at it it's like wow that's magic how did that happen yeah yes. it's the same with everything that we do isn't it so going back to the copywriting part <clears throat> uh that I, I want you to make it more clear because for me, it was a shock when the first time I heard it, it's like, ah, someone is going to say that I'm not copying from someone else's material. I'm an artist. It's like yeah. since <clears throat> 70, according to the copy laws, is 70% has to be original. Blah, blah, blah. Like, no, no, no. Copywriting, it is yeah. nothing to do with that. And no. you go a little bit more deeper with that because many people that are listening to us might be interested to apply it to their own yeah. So I was a little while ago, I was, I was invited to talk to a group of light workers about copywriting and they really couldn't understand it. So using a little bit of my education of NLP, I said, think of it this way. I write the spells which attract more prosperity and clients to your business. And immediately they understood it. It's like, wow. So you write the spells that'll attract more people. And that's effectively what copywriting is that we're using the power of the written word to bring in more people to help you make, uh, create more clients and to increase your money. And we're using the power of persuasive writing to do that. And that's basically all it is. So most people think copywriting has got to do with intellectual property and patents. That's a different spelling as well. It's a different type of copywriting. Yeah. The type we didn't copy comes from the advertising world. Copy was what they would actually call text. <clears throat> so back in the old days, um, they had boys running around taking advertising to the different executives. And it's like, hey, boy, bring me my copy of the ad. And so just the, the copy was just the text. Um, that's basically what it was. So that's a little bit of the history of it. But copywriting really is using the power of the written word to achieve a result um, for your clients or for you and your clients, right? So in my case, uh, a lot of my clients who are in that healing space, we help write the words that will demonstrate their value and articulate their expertise in a much more powerful way. And that's really what we do. It's in a way also to learn how to be right about your vulnerability, your, your deepest part of the story, 
But yeah. in a way that it doesn't sound so tragic and they don't think that you still are the victimhood and the victim mentality. So with, with the copy that I write, I, I go very deep and very raw emotionally with people. And what we want to do is we want to show them that we understand them and we can connect with them. So when we're talking about our clients, when we're writing, we're writing for them. We're not talking about ourselves. My perspective on copywriting is we always talk about our clients' needs, never talk about us until we're at the right time. So about 90% of the copy I write is a client and taking them on their journey and showing them that we understand them and explaining to them, basically talking about their life. And for that, it means that we need to really understand who our clients are. So copywriting, the, the writing part of it, maybe is 20% of the work. 80% of the work we do is actually the discovery, the research, you know, really understanding the client, really understanding the product, really understanding the service to such an extent that when we talk to the client, you know, we can communicate them to them in a language that they understand. It's like the way I'd explain it is like, imagine we go to Japan and we're speaking to people in English in Japan. Japan's one of those countries where not many people speak English. So if you go to Japan and you speak English, people won't really understand who you are. Okay. Now, if you go to Japan and you spoke Italian, people would be very confused. Because maybe they may speak one or two words of English, but if you speak Italian and you start waving your hands around, they won't understand anything of what you're saying. But imagine now you go to Japan and you speak to them a few words of Japanese. All of a sudden, they look at you and they warm towards you because you've understood them and you've taken an effort to understand them a little bit. It's the same with working with your customers in copy. When you can show your customers you understand them a little bit, they automatically think you're the person who can help solve their problem. The thing that most people are lacking nowadays is that they don't understand their clients. And most marketers, most salespeople, don't go to that point, that depth, depth of the point where they understand them at the emotional level. Maybe they understand them psychologically. Maybe they understand them physically, but they don't understand them emotionally. And that's where the copy I write goes that little bit deeper and tells them that you're this person. You've got this issue. This is how you're feeling. But you want to change it. This is how you want to feel instead. And if you want to feel it, then let's talk. Right? There was a teacher um, in learning Ayurveda. Um, one of uh, one of our teachers, his master was 125 years old. And a 125-year-old Himalayan master. And he was teaching my teacher's teacher. So this is a few generations ago. He said, you know, over the last 6,000 years of human civilization, the greatest need that people have, you'd think it'd be love, but it's not love. You'd think it'd be money, but it's not money. The biggest thing that people need right now, okay, is that ability to be understood. Because here's the thing, people, when they don't understand themselves, their expectations of themselves cause stress. And in the healing tradition, we know that stress is the biggest cause of disease. Yeah. Right? But when you're out of alignment with what you truly design, what you truly want, then you're going to have internal conflict. And that internal conflict, that stress, we, you know, it, we, we've seen many, many studies which talk about, you know, your immune system gets suppressed, um, you know, you, you increase uh, vulnerability within your body, you become sick, right? Yeah. As healers, our job is to understand our clients better than they understand themselves and help them to achieve what they truly want. I take that same approach to copywriting is if I can help my clients to understand what they truly want and deliver them their clients, the ones that they truly desire, then I've done my job well. 
Yeah. But that understanding part, I just want to take this a little bit further if I can, Monica. Imagine you understand yourself and all your stress vanishes. How much, what's your experience of life? It's going to be better. You'll be happier. You'll be more well. You'll be more vibrant, more energetic. But imagine if two people, not necessarily in agreement with each other, but they understand each other. Okay. The conflict disappears between two people. They'll have a mutual respect for each other. They don't have to agree, but they understand each other. Yeah. Yes. Imagine if we took that one level up and now you had communities. Okay. Imagine communities started understanding each other. They don't necessarily have to have the same values. Like imagine that they understood each other. What would happen to gang warfare? It would go. Yeah. What would happen to political sectarianism? It would go. What would happen to religious conflict? It would vanish. Imagine we took it one step further and went from community to nation, nation, national levels, right? International levels. And imagine if nations, if leaders at that level and whole nations understood each other. You know, we're talking about the formula for world peace here, right? Yes, it, it, it is true. It's the people understand mm. each other, but not only understanding each other, respecting each other. It's a respect, yeah. Because yeah. you may be understanding someone, but if you don't have respect for that someone, you're lacking of compassion for that person. Yeah. It, it is okay that we agree that we disagree. Yeah. yeah. And that's where is the respect from each other. And that boundary is set up in there. But in the moment that you even understand it, but you don't care what they feel, is that is the lack of respect. And that's where yeah. we are creating wars and we're having all these chaos in, in this moment if we want mm. to observe that. Part. I think it comes with understanding yourself first, because when you understand yourself and you know what who you are, and yes. you can stand strong with that, then the respect for another person will come naturally because you don't have that insecurity within yourself. Yes. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I think that respect is important. But before you try to understand someone else, try and understand yourself. Yes. Mm. And let's just simply we talk about depression. The mm. person that is depressed is usually is going to be uh, with anger mm. and it's going to show up as an anger and they're going to say, oh, so a person is very angry. No, if you observe and they understand themselves, it is they're carrying a big sadness. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That they have not addressed it. So it's going to yeah. be showing up as anger. Mm. Yeah, and, I agree. Yeah. And that's the basis of not understanding themselves. And that's just an, one example of thousands that it can be. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah, no, that's a good example, actually. But it is. It's all about understanding. And that's, that's literally, that's what I bring to copy. Um, when I read this in this book, and I've sent you a copy of that book, Monica, The Ancient Secrets of a Master Healer. When I read it in that book, I realized that was validation for the work that I've been doing as a copywriter because we first seek to first understand our clients. What do they want? What do they truly want? And then we go to the next level and understand their clients, what they truly want. And then we connect the two together. And that's what I think makes my copywriting a little bit different is that level of depth and of understanding. Yes. Yes, because I, I have encountered different copywriters and they don't have that part. Mm. They don't have that part. And more because you are uh, NLP, uh, a mm. trainer NLP and, uh, and you and endotherapist. And you apply that too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I do apply a lot of that. So things like embedded commands, you know, hypnotic language patterns, all of that goes straight into 
my copywriting as well. It just becomes part of who you are. Yes. I I just wonder <laughs> if the prices continue rising of all the healers and coaches and so forth, what is going to happen? We're not going to pay by the insurance. So it is going to cost from the pockets of each individual. And that doesn't mean that, or that every single person needs to heal something. Yeah. I, in fact, I don't trust people that tell me, oh, I don't have nothing to heal. Like for me, like those are the people more broken because they don't even realize that they have yeah. something. And not saying broken per se broken, but those are the people that have more more issues that they have to work because they cannot even work. Yeah. <laughs> so, but what is going to happen if we continue all the coaches and healers and so forth raising the the prices? Mm. So, uh, we're going to only be coaches and healers for the for the people that have money. What is going to happen for the people that doesn't have money? Where is so this goes back to yeah, it's it's a good question. Um, I, I'm I'm a big big fan of giving back. So, as a copywriter and obviously the work I do in coaching as well, last year we gave 25 percent of our work was was unpaid. So a quarter of the work that we did was all for not for profits for charities for people that couldn't finance it because we have that within our own uh, business structure that you know we want to give back. And I think the first thing is that I would only be able to do that as I'm making the money for myself as well. So the idea that people become healers and coaches because they know they want to do better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's always going to be an element of them wanting to give back and they should, they, there always should be that element of wanting to give back because not everyone can afford our services as well when we charge full price. But the other part of it is also to look at the fact that not every coach and not every healer, not every therapist wants to serve the same person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some that will want to charge the higher fees because they're serving people who can afford those high fees. And there's some that would prefer to serve um, people who can't afford that and will happily, happily charge lower fees, you know, in exchange because they know what they truly want. Mm-hmm. All right? um, and that's not to say that their businesses are unsustainable, but they need to know what they want to achieve. They need to know that for themselves, who they are and what they want to do. So I've got a, a friend of mine. Um, I, I call him a friend. He's like a, I call him my spiritual friend. His name is Romarishi. And Romarishi and his wife, Tara, they used to be uh, in the tech industry and the finance industry. You know, Tara was on, uh, she was a finance broker for on Wall Street and Romarishi was in the tech industry. But they realized what they really wanted to do. They gave away their jobs. And now they do everything they do, they do for free. Everything they do, they do for free. He's in his... Late 60s now, Romarishi is, and his wife, Tara, is just a little bit younger than him. But everything they're doing is purely for free because they believe that now that they've made their money, they're giving all this, all this material away to everyone because they believe that all of the people deserve access to this information and their knowledge completely free. And so since 2010, they've just been working for free for everyone. And I do agree that we have to give service, not only charge an uh, amount like a in Tuesdays, I do meditations and mm. in, in level tet and so forth, so we can reprogram and so forth. Mm. We do have to give uh, that back because not right. everybody can afford it. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, people need to understand that we as humans living in this 3D, still in this moment, that we still have to pay bills. 
we still have to pay rents or we have to pay car bills or gas or whatever it is, some food. Those are basic needs that every single human being has. And uh, that's something that we have to understand that when we're giving a donation, yeah, think and $1 is not going to be enough unless that's the only dollar that you have. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Don't give it. Then you need it. <laughs> no you more. need it. Right. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and and I think a lot of it is, look, yeah, you, as people, we need to be honest and, you know, what can we give that's worth the service? And we have to be upfront about that. You know, we have to be very honest. Um, we all go through the tough times. You know, I, I know there's times where it's like, oh my gosh, when I was starting my business and I didn't have any money, I just had a new baby girl and I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to make things happen? Um, and there's other times where I've had the money there and I'm able to give more, you know? So your life will always go through ups and downs. It's never going to be one big straight line. You will go ups, you will have downs and you've got to be able to navigate them. And there's times where you're going to be the giver and there's times where you have to be the receiver and you've got to be able to balance that out for yourself. And if you can acknowledge that and put your ego aside and say, look, there's times where I'm not going to have all my life together and there's other times where I'm going to be able to help other people get their lives together, then you need to be able to ride that wave accordingly. Yes, yeah. that is so true. Mm. I, I just wanted to thank you so much, Nick, uh, Nick, for being here and for this interview. There was very, very interesting questions that I, I wanted to ask you always, but finally <laughs> we got into it. Yeah. And also to, uh, to invite everybody to Zoology Fest that is going to be in December 8, 9, and 10. And right now they can get their tickets uh, at a very good price. And you can subscribe to zoologynetwork.com. So like that, you can see the replays, not only from me, from many other producers that they're having a great show. Very, very interesting. So you can pay monthly or you can, I, I signed up for the whole year because I wanted to see all the shows. So don't miss it. And uh, Zoology Fest is going to be in December 8, 9, and 10 in Houston, Texas. So hopefully everybody can, uh, I will see everybody there. I'm going to be one of the speakers. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for all the viewers. I really Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Monica. Thank you. Mm -hmm.